Nah, you know, now for that game, for the State Carolina game, are they doing the? Because I feel like one of their one of their games recently they did it where it's like, hey, our colors aren't the same at all. So like, let's have one team wear, you know, let's have State wear red and Carolina wear baby blue. I don't know if they're doing that. Sorry, I, this is like a very like. Oh, it's fine. It's very far down the uh, the no, like, priority and interest list with that matchup. It, but, honestly, it's not because it's very important to me. I have repeatedly lobbied for this. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow, and it's not the biggest game of the weekend necessarily uh, involving one of the teams that I wanted to have somebody on for. However, I think this particular team's eight and two start is significant. And I also haven't talked to this person in a while. Um, I'm not even, have I had you on this podcast, Craig Meyer of the Pittsburgh Post Gazette? <laughs> I think so. I think it might have been like, it's been a while. I was like a year, year and a half ago, maybe. Yeah, I think we talked about uh, Pat Narduzzi or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been a while. So I wanted to have you on to talk about, we need to all talk to each other about Pitt basketball being good because that is a thing that's happening right now. Yeah, it's. Um... Yeah, this is my fifth year on the beat, and um, I I sometimes feel like I've cursed the you know this a fan base because I mean, there's a oh, fifteen year period. <laughs> I mean, there was a fifteen year period from like two thousand two to or two thousand one or two thousand two until e- even though things had kind of tailed off a little bit from their peak until like twenty sixteen, where they made the tournament all but a few years, and they were sort of um you know it was this it was this this a program that had a fairly proud history but like wasn't really ever among the nation's elite except for like a couple kind of you know a couple of scattered years and then i take over and you know they go 16 and 17 and then 8 and 24 you know and jeff capels obviously had to sort of build from a scratch of these past couple seasons. But, you know, I, I, I think it has much, much less to do with me and more to do with, um, you know, Pitt voluntarily hiring Kevin Stallings uh, about a month before I jumped on the beat. I, I, I would say that probably has a little bit more to do with it, but I don't know. Maybe I am just that, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe I just have that much of a poisonous or rotten touch to everything I cover. Okay, yeah, I was going to say the overall Pitt fan base, no. Um, Pitt basketball, I can see why you feel that way. That's fair. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, you and you've certainly been through it. I mean, what this must feel way different than any season you've covered to date, all things considered. I mean, the kind of weird thing is, is like, there is sort of a, a deja vu sense to this, um, you know, because in each of Jeff's first two years, his first year, they beat in a, I think it's in a six-day span, they beat Louisville, who was doing fairly well at uh, you know, was doing fairly well at that time. I think they ended up making the tournament that year as like a seven seed. And then six days later, they beat Florida State, who was, I think at the time, a top twenty team. And this was early in ACC play. And they, they were two and two at that point. They were just coming off of that 0 and 18 season. And I mean, my mind was racing as far as like, wow, like I'm covering what what might be like the quickest turnaround in college basketball history here um and after they beat florida state it'd be two months until they won their next game um and then last year they were 15 and 9 coming off a win against georgia tech with a, with justin champagne scoring i think 30 points in that game and then again things fell apart they lost um i want to say they lost eight of their next nine um, to finish up yeah. the season. So I guess right now we're still in a bit of a wait and see mode. Um, but it does seem like this team's built a little bit differently. So what what makes you feel like this is, I mean, I, I know I've had some pit fans uh, tell me why they think so, but what, what makes you feel like this pit team is, is different and kind of ready to not lose, you know, their remaining uh, <laughs> double digit number of games as they, yeah, I was looking back at it and you're right. They have had really good starts to the season actually. And then poof, it just goes away. Yeah. I think, I think they're, they definitely have more depth, which certainly helps them. Cause in those previous two years, like they were still, I mean, they were only really 
playing like they were they effectively had like seven man ro- uh, rotations and you know in his first season i think it might have been more than you know they they might have been working with an eight man group but i mean it was they were still like once you got to like seven or eight it was you know they were guys who you know not terrible not terrible players but not guys who if you're going to be a successful acc team you're going to be playing a bunch of minutes um I think that helps, um, you know, Justin Champagne just kind of morphing into the star that he has now. Um, I expected some level of improvement from him just because, you know, typically once you have that first year of college experience under your belt, you're able to navigate things a little bit easier. But he's just, I mean, he's at the point now he's averaging 20 points, 13 rebounds a game. I mean, he's very likely, you know, if the season ended today, obviously it's a very big if yeah he's probably acc player of the year and i don't think that i I think i maybe would have set the ceiling for him this year maybe 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 like first team all 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 conference but i mean he's he has exceeded my expectations for him um you know which i'm sure i'm sure is undoubtedly his uh, proudest accomplishment this season um yeah of course but and uh so i think so you have that, and then you have two other players in Audis Tony and Xavier Johnson, who this is their third year with the program. They're more experienced. They know. I, I think that having they've both been through those two late season cl- uh, collapses, and I feel like they're better equipped to kind of handle those now. Um, you know, if things start to if things feel like they're slipping in in that direction or threatening to go that way. Um. I think just based on their experience and some better talent and, and you know and, and better pieces around them, I think that they can handle that a little bit better. And honestly, the other thing too is like those 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 two seasons they tired out. I mean, they were young and not particularly deep, and as those games just kept going and going and going, I mean, you could see like they looked they looked a step off. Um, you know, their legs looked heavy at times, and. I mean, they're at the point now. They before the Duke game, they had only played two games since Christmas. So from December twenty third until I guess I don't even know until until January eighteenth, they had played two games. So this should theoretically be a more well a more well rested team, and they kind of I feel bad saying that they that they lucked out with only playing those two games because all those games were postponed because people contracted a virus that's killed 400,000 people. But I mean, they got some rest in that time. And the big thing for them too was they only played two games without Justin Champagne when he was originally projected to miss six to eight weeks. And had they played those games as they were scheduled, even if he came back as freakishly early as he did, like he still would have missed six games. so yeah, it seems like after after just kind of being in the shadows of the sport for the past four years and dealing with everything that they did, it, it's it, I I guess Pitt was overdue for some for some fortunate breaks and some good luck. Yeah, I get that's a good point. And then they get even better luck when the only two teams they play, well, the only team they played twice after Christmas was Syracuse, who played a zone. Uh, a zone that they beat by 20 points on the 16th. And then for some reason, I'm still puzzled by this. Duke decided, Hey, we'll do a zone too. <laughs> yeah. Like that, I, you know, you would know better than me. Like, had they done that much this season? Cause no. I mean, I was like, you know, even Jeff was like, yeah, I wasn't really expecting that. Cause he was talking like before the game is like, Oh, it's the first team that, you know, it's first man to man team we've played in like 22 days. No, they have not done that very much at all. And, and you know, Coach K said afterwards that, like, look, we're not a very big team, which is true, although they got Jalen Johnson back at full strength for that game. Um, you know, they had Patrick Pepe back, so they had big guys back in the rotation. Um, it, was a, it was a little bit of a head-scratcher for us here locally, especially because we had seen what, you know, Pitt had done to Syracuse's zone. Um, and we were a little... Um, we were all a little uh, puzzled by that for sure. Yeah. It was a little bit odd. Like it seemed like a, a strategy like that was, you know, 
10 or, or like 10 or 11 months, like past date, like on last year's pit team, that would have been a great strategy. Like that, that, yes. that was what every team did to him. Um, they just threw, threw a zone at him and pit based on what they had. Like they just couldn't handle a zone at all. Like they were, it was, it was painful to watch that offense sometimes try to operate, you know, and these, and some of these came against teams that, a weren't especially good defensively anyway, and then B were playing in sort of an unfamiliar scheme, and like they still shut it down. So it was yeah, it, it was really odd to see that. I mean, far be it for me to 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 uh, question Mike Shishesky's coaching decisions. He has a yeah, and I mean, I think a thousand some more wins than me, but still, I, I mean, it still is odd. Yeah, he he did start to get a little bit like that in the post game. Like, well, what would you have done or whatever. Um, <laughs> But, you know, he was also, I could, it, it was almost midnight and he'd gotten several questions about Jeff Capel. And I could tell how much he loves Jeff Capel because he got asked a question. It was something like, talk about, like, I don't even know if they said talk about, to be fair, but like, could you identify, like, what's the biggest area of growth you've seen in, in Jeff's coaching or something like that? And it was like one of the last questions. And I actually, it's one of those moments where if you've covered Mike Krzyzewski enough, you know that he might get a little snippy from time to time. He's nowhere nearly as bad as he used to be, <laughs> but I mean, it's midnight and he lost and it's like, he wants to get on the bus, you know, or get on the airplane. Uh, and I, I thought he might get a little snippy with that person, but he didn't. And um, he spoke very highly of Jeff and, and look, I mean, he, he cares about him a lot and he was very careful to say, I think some of the things that Jeff said after the game, which is like, look, this isn't about beating us. Like this is, this is about their program and what they're doing. And and Jeff is a legit head coach. And so like, you know, let's not act like Jeff just is getting his first opportunity. And now we're only learning that he's a good coach. Like he's been a good coach was sort of Mike's, you know, uh, you know, philosophy on that. And, and Jeff was kind of downplaying, you know, beating Duke too, and that's understandable. But do you think it meant a little more to him than he than he let on? I would say it did. Like I, 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 I don't know how it can't, how that's something that like you can't feel in a very profound way, where you beat the program that you played for, you know, a program that you coached at for seven more years, led by someone who you obviously know so well and care for so much and admire so much. Um, you know, and also, I mean, it's firm that he grew up in, you know, grew up in that state, grew up, you know, I guess fairly close to, you know, you know, I, I don't know the distance between Fayetteville and Durham, but it's drivable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I don't know how it can't, how it, how you can't, how that win can't feel different. I mean, just on a couple different levels, obviously with, with his connections to Duke and, um, you know, his, his, a love for that school. But I mean, also like this is, you know, this is a program that in some ways is still kind of trying to prove itself. Um, you know, and I've been somewhat guilty of it too, where it's like, okay, yeah, this is, does this win maybe mean a little bit more on paper than it does in reality? Like being Duke is an incredible accomplishment. I mean, it's still Duke, but you know, they're unranked for the first time in five years and they're almost, they're just at over 500, but and he kept going back to this point and I thought it was a good and a fair one was like, you know, cause that was the first time I had seen get, I had seen Jalen Johnson in, in sort of extended minutes. And I mean, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that guy's very good. And that team seems, you know, a little bit different when he's in there and healthy and fully engaged, fully active. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I, think in all those ways it was a big win for him um it was a little surreal in some ways just because it's an empty arena fans you know they're i think like the it's a max of 500 people there so pretty much it's just players coaches officials media and like player family and friends um so it didn't have the feel of a big time win um just because that's kind of the world that we that we uh that we're inhabiting right now but um but yeah i mean he's certainly not someone like he he's very he's 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 very good and he says this lies like hey like i i i had my time in college i had my chance to kind of shine i'm here now to help these guys kind of mm-hmm. achieve those 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 the same goals that i once worked toward um and this isn't about me this is about them and 
he's always been very good about that. So yeah, I think it was something more like it for all that it meant to him. I mean, he didn't want to be like, you know, coming out in, in that kind of way, like, you know, and basking in that, in that sort of glow. Yeah, no, for sure. And Jeff is the only coach that I think, uh, the only ACC head coach currently that watches any of my content. I know his wife does as well. Um, so I've always liked Jeff very much. He's very nice. Um, he's one of my favorite people. So I'm happy that he's succeeding for now. I hope that they can keep it up. Um, and I love watching, you know, it's not always pretty with this pit team. They have some work to do offensively. Um, but Champagny is a joy to watch play. And, um, it was interesting. I think it was you that tweeted out what Champagny said about like the player of the year race. And you could kind of see him talking a little bit during the game. Is that, is that always been kind of how he is a little bit of a trash talker at times and, and wanting to kind of prove something against the, the next likeliest player of the year candidate, honestly, and Matthew Hurt. I think we've seen it a little bit more this year. You know, I think as a freshman, there's still something where, you know, you're still kind of trying to figure things out a little bit. Um, still trying to make sense of everything, you know, that's transpiring. I mean, every, everything's a first, you know, first road game, first time playing this opponent, first time playing in this venue. Um, but yeah, this year he certainly, you know, I guess you're seeing the uh, Brooklyn come out of him a little bit more, you know, oh, wonderful. you know, yeah. You know, like a not like, you know, artisan jam, like, you know, fancy kind of <laughs> like, uh, you, know, you know, not like fancy, like waxed mustache Brooklyn, but like, you know, kind of, you not, know, not, not gentrified Brooklyn. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I thought you started to see that part of him come out a little bit more. And it's been fun to see, like, you know, when he got asked that, you know, the the question about whether he was trying to sort of make a statement with that game plan, you know, even though they really, go, you know, even though that it wasn't really like a direct matchup, like, you know, trying to, yeah. you know, trying to go against Matthew Hurt and like, it's something that I was like, eh, you know, it might be one of those questions he kind of waves off. It's like, ah, so I wasn't thinking about it too much. I was just trying to get the win, but he, he just came out and said, oh yeah, no, I was definitely thinking about that. It's funny too. Like, right. As, you know, right. As he said, like, you know, I thought that I was better and, you know, and there was a little bit of a pause and he's like, yeah, and I think I came out uh, tonight and I showed that there was like a little like shrug and smirk, like before he, uh, before he said that, like he knew what he was about to do. Um, which I mean, I love, like, I think that, yeah. I, I think that makes him, you know, if you're a Duke fan or a Matthew Hurt fan, I can understand where you're probably like, ah, this guy, like, what are you doing, man? But yeah, I think most Duke fans really just enjoyed watching. I mean, they they can appreciate a, a very good player, I think, and and he certainly is that. So, um, I think Duke fans are probably a little more worried about you know everything else going on. <laughs> yeah, they were saying like I think so. I saw some Duke fan, and they can be a little dramatic, but like one of them was saying that the '95 Duke team would beat this Duke team. I don't think that that's true um, <laughs> necessarily. But to be fair to the '95 Duke team. And this is something that I think will help hit as well, like down the stretch of the season. Like, I think four teams finished in the top 13 in the ACC in 95. So, like, there was no, there was no night off. No. So to speak. Like, well, it was only a nine-team league then, right? Yeah, and, and almost half of it finished in the top 13. Like, that's absurd, you know? And so even if you have a little bit of a down year by Duke standards in 95, like, you're going to be you're going to be up against it. And uh, obviously that's not so much the case this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Where yeah, the ACC is not great. Yeah. It's a little bit, you know, I like keep going back sometimes where it's like, I don't know if it's just not great or if it's just that like Duke and Carolina are, are, are a little bit down and like for a while there it was looking like it was Clemson and Virginia Tech were the top two teams and I'm like is this a league that's bad or is it just that they're sort of unfamiliar non-traditional you know programs carrying the league and who are in the top tier I mean right now it seems like it's trending a little bit more toward uh you know toward relative normalcy here where it, it kind of looks like it's Virginia Tech or sorry you know uh, it kind of looks like it's a Virginia and Florida state, you know, I guess for Virginia tech and maybe be up there too. Um, yeah. But like, you know, those are two programs that past five or six years, like 
have typically been up there. Like they don't have the same kind of aura that Duke and Carolina do. Um, but it is, yeah. I mean, it is still a league that it, I mean, I like you compare it to like the big 12 and the big 10 and it's just, you know, those leagues yeah. are clearly just several steps above them. And, um, you know, and I think for, for Pitt that ends up working out fairly advantageously. Like Jeff's first year here. I mean, you had, you had Duke, Carolina, and Virginia, who all got, who all got, uh, who all got number one seeds that year. I mean, Duke had all the players they did. Carolina had a lot of experience, a whole bunch of talent. Virginia ended up winning the title, um, and that's kind of why last year for them, when they went sixteen and, and seventeen, like it felt a little bit like a missed opportunity because the league was a little bit down. Mm-hmm. They played Carolina twice in the worst Carolina season in almost twenty years. Yeah. Um, so it was, um, yeah, it's been sort of a weird time for them. Like I, you know, you get coaches who talk in press conferences about, oh, this is the best league in the country. And historically, I mean, I guess there you don't was hear some, that this year, do you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like almost sort of a, like a gratuitous inclusion, or I think it comes up more when, you know, when a team's coming off a loss. Um, yeah. You'll hear them say that like, it's, it's a tough league and it, and that's the thing it is for the teams in it because like, there is a lot of parity in terms of like, you know, Virginia and Florida state are up there right now, but like everybody else has been very vulnerable. And so like, that is absolutely true. But at the same time, like, I think there's only two top 30 teams in Ken Tom right now. That's not, you know, that's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I, it, you're, you're, I think you're in the point with, uh, with that lead to, especially after wake m- made a coaching change, like, I don't really know like who in that league I would consider like not a great coach, you know, like I think Steve Forbes is going to do really well there. And I kind of, I mean, you know, there's that old edge, like somebody's got to finish in last place, you know, like like the big 12, I think is certainly that way. The the big 10 has kind of moved in, in that direction. Um, Well, the big 10 at least has teams like Nebraska that are just bad. (laughs) Exactly. Like I, I, I agree with you because like Wake is is on you know, Wake is I think gonna be a good team eventually. Um and Boston College is better than its record, but yeah. I think that's the only coach that I would say I'm not so sure if like that's the guy moving forward for a particular team, you know? Yeah, I feel I, I feel like I, I don't know if this is just because I'm too online. Like I feel like Jim Christian gets, you know, dumped on a lot and I feel bad for him because I have no indication that he's a bad guy or uh, or yeah. or uh, or anything, but it's odd because he gets well. It's like that, oh, there, <laughs> like he gets that treatment where it's you know, and I got familiar with this covering two years of Kevin Stallings, where opposing coaches like go out of their way to be like, yeah, I know he's taking some heat right now, but this, that guy can really coach. And I feel like Jim Christian gets that a whole bunch, and that's like. That to me is always a precursor of like either this guy's job is in trouble or I don't know, maybe opposing coaches just are like, you know, I like this guy being in my league because his teams aren't that hard to beat. But, you know, <laughs> but like BC's weird though. Yeah. Cause like they played like fairly competitive games, um, you know, and, you know, and the uh, Wake Forest, I mean, that's one thing that makes them, I guess, somewhat dangerous for Pitt coming off of the big win against Duke is that. Yeah. They're zero and five, but like three other games, like they've only lost by like you know they've lost by nine or 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 a fewer points. Like it's not like that the pit team I covered a couple or I guess God I guess it's three years ago now, like where their average margin of defeat was like eighteen points. Um, yeah, and and Danny Manning when when he was there, they would get down and they would just sort of you could see the give up happen, and it doesn't. That's not happening this year. Um, they you know they. They lost to Louisville by 12, but they also cut that game to single digits like midway through the second half. Um, you know, the Virginia Tech was a close loss. They kept the North Carolina game close because they just kept hitting three-pointers. Um, you know, they've got their issues, but they they fight. And so we'll see if that can keep up because, yeah, it would be a tricky spot to catch Pitt in this weekend for sure. Um, very busy slate of games this weekend. I'm not going to necessarily go through all of them because, you know, it's <laughs> there's a lot um but yeah virginia tech syracuse is intriguing because I, I keep like i think virginia tech is good but they have had a similar problem to pit or uh, they did last year anyway and i i think very highly of mike young as a coach too 
where like they just hit, they hit a little bit of a wall last year. I wonder if they'll do that this year. The only normal thing about this year has been Syracuse, uh, <laughs> like do, taking the inexplicable losses and then getting the wins that you're like, wait, where did that come from? And they'll be on the NCAA tournament bubble probably because of that. Yeah, that's like Syracuse basketball the past like five or six years has just been, you go like, you win between like 18 and 21 games. You're on the bubble. You usually get into the tournament where you're like an 11 seed or something, and you pull off a couple upsets and then kind of fart your way into the Sweet 16, like playing just games that like are not entertaining in any way at all. Where <laughs> it's just like, oh god, it's the two three zone again. You're winning like, you know, 59 to 54 or something. Um, yeah, like that, you know, and I, I didn't realize because Pitt played them twice in a 10 day span here recently. And like, I didn't really realize the extent to which, like, you know, and I, I certainly understand it. We're, we're to the extent where Syracuse fans are kind of getting a little impatient or kind of getting to the end of the line a bit with a Bayheim being like, you know, this guy's got to get out of here soon. He's got to, you know, his son, I guess, is a junior. So it's like, you know, Maybe we only have two more years of them, and then we can move on. Um, but I mean, I can relate to like I grew up in in Louisville, and like I remember the final years of a uh, Denny Crum, and like it feels yeah. somewhat similar to me. Um, where it's just like this is a really this is a program that even like fairly recently, I mean, they were they were in a final four. I mean, granted, it was kind of a fluky one, but like they were in a final <laughs> four, I think, five years ago. Um, Right, but they've been playing like the same season. It feels like every single year for like the last five years. Yeah, it's been weird. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know, and and things have obviously tailed off a little bit here. And um, I I feel like even though I think Buddy Bayheim's a pretty good player, I mean, I feel like it becomes a lot easier to uh, do like critiques more because you like look at all you know, not to compare Syracuse to all these like empires and like dynasties uh, th- uh, th- uh, throughout human history here, but like that's when it starts to fail a little bit is like when the like, you know, son or like a uh, nephew Aww. who's like not as good as put in charge. I mean, that's obviously not him, but I mean, I, I, I feel like <laughs> Joe can make that sort of logical leap sometimes. Oh, buddy. I love watching buddy play because he's like a direct contrast to his father in terms of like, he just like has joy playing the game. <laughs> yeah. highly, and then you look at his dad and he's like making the sour face to be fair. Like that's like, he has kind of an RBF like Bayheim does just like a resting, you know, B face or whatever, but that's just I, his face. But like, still, <laughs> I, 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 and I also think with, with him, things have been thrown off a little bit this year too. Cause they're, cause coaches aren't, aren't wearing suits. So like, I feel like he gets like, he like summons like a superpower or super energy when he gets upset with a call and rips off his suit jacket. Oh, I know. I think someone had like actually not like studied, but had, like they oh, yeah. had looked at like Syracuse would go on these runs and like play a lot better after he did that. Um, so, I mean, I think maybe that's one that we're over a, looking a little bit here. Ooh, yeah. Maybe he needs just like a, like if he's going to wear like a sweatsuit, he can just have a jacket over top and, just you know, get it ready to throw. Come on, Jimmy. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Syracuse giving us what sense of normalcy we have left. I, God, I remember how scared I was when I heard that he had COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That was terrifying. Like, you know, I mean, that's been one kind of wrinkle with this season too, is, I mean, you've got like that league, I think five, like a third of its coaches are over 70 between, yeah, b- between Kay and Roy Bayheim, Leonard Hamilton, God forbid if anything ever happened to him. Um, oh, yes. And He's then uh, Larinaga. Uh, Larinaga got his first dose of the vaccine the other day. I did hear that on the teleconference. Um, Coach K got his, um roy is supposed to get his next week um and yeah so that's three of the older ones for sure i know they addressed that on the teleconference this week coach k he said he got lucky like they had some doses left over at duke and they called him and cutcliffe and we're like hey we've got some left over we'll have to throw them away and he's like no we'll take it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um that that's, that's always a relief to hear because yeah i've definitely been you know certainly when k was a close contact and everything else and you know, they've been appropriately uh, scared of, of getting this. Um, and Jim Jim was saying that they really, they haven't had any cases um, in Miami. So that's good. 
on their team or anything. Um, but yeah, the, it, it's been a weird season for that reason. Um, State Carolina is also Saturday at two. And that's been one of those things here locally. It's a big deal. And everybody's like, you know, wants you to break it down and everything like that. And it's like state's coming off of its second COVID pause. Um, uh, I'm about to hear from Kevin Keats shortly after we record this to see like where they're at. But I have no idea. Like, I don't know what to expect. Like most teams coming off COVID pauses have have looked a little understandably rough. NC State included off their first one. You know, when they played at St. Louis, um, they ran out of steam down the stretch because they were tired and I have no idea what that game's going to look like from state then, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's made this season, you know, I guess unprecedented is a word that's gotten its proper use here over the past 10 months here. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's in everything that we're seeing now, like typically if, you know, a team has been off for two weeks, like the question would be more like, okay, are they rusty or are they well rested? Um, and now it's like if you're the team that was affected by it and, you know, the particular players uh, uh, who had uh, tested positive and who had to deal with it, like it becomes sort of, you know, there's another dimension added to that question. Um, I mean, because, you know, again, it impacts people differently. Some people, you know, and, you know, in, in some cases it doesn't even matter matter your age. I mean, I, I know I refer to people who have been in their 20s who are in great physical shape which just ravaged them and you know there's the there's there's some of the uncertainty because it's some of the you know it's a virus we're finding out more and more about it every day even as we're 10 months into this thing and um you know there are questions about how it impacts people long term and um you know what ways that it could potentially harm you down the road and you know when you're playing such a high level activity like where I mean, basketball, I got like, even like, even for me, like running up and down the court once. And again, I'm not a physical specimen, but you know, like, like these guys, but I feel like sometimes because these guys are in such great shape and so fast and so quick, like they make it look almost kind of easy. Like 94 feet doesn't seem very long. Sorry. When I see those guys play and when they run, but then like, I'll go out on a court and do it. And like, (laughs) my hands are on my knees, like just yeah. like your back third once. Time, yeah your third time down you're like okay I can't like yeah it, it's I remember playing basketball and, and you know I haven't played in the media in Cameron they let us play a media game every year obviously not this year but I remember the last time I played in one of those I was like oh right this is hard <laughs> I forgot that basketball is like tiring and exhausting and these guys are in really good shape but if you're off for a while and you can't do certain things it's going to impact you or you would think Unless you're Florida State, which it apparently gave superpowers to. Um, <laughs> that was the weirdest. That's been the weirdest thing. It's like they're a completely different team since their layoff. We'll get to that in a sec because I do. I want to touch on North Carolina for a hot second because like we've been doing this thing here locally where we're like, oh, you know, they've looked a little rough, but they'll probably turn the corner. And then you get a certain percentage into the season and you're like, well, maybe they won't. Um, but I do. And I know it was Wake and that's the worst team they played since like early December, but I do wonder if you're if you're seeing their guards turn the corner a little bit. Caleb Love had twenty points is the like blew away his previous career high. They're still turning it over in kind of silly ways. Um and that'll be an issue against a team like State that likes to press. Although who even knows how physically equipped State will be to do that after this layoff. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think that's definitely an interesting dimension because RJ Davis and Caleb Love weren't playing well for a while and now they're starting to play better of course at the same time that Dayron Sharp is hitting a little bit of a freshman wall he's been one of my favorite players to watch in the league this year as a big guy um, but he's hit a wall here as of late and uh, yeah they were missing a bunch of shots right around the rim in the first half and now that's their problem like Armando Baycott's played really well but the other big guys are kind of struggling <laughs> and and when the guards are getting it going so like if they get all those guys going they'll probably be fine uh the question is will that happen i'm not sure yet but um they're intriguing for that reason yeah i feel like they were a team i was a little skeptical of coming into the season just because you know i'd seen what happened you know everybody saw what uh what happened with them last season and i just i didn't know like how you for i forgot what they were right in the preseason but I, I I just I, I didn't, I didn't really, 
<laughs> no, I don't think I did either. Like, I don't think you go from 14 and 19 right. to all of a sudden becoming a top 20 team. Like that doesn't happen very, uh, very often. I mean, there's some yeah. examples I can think of, you know, I think of like, of like Cal's first team, uh, first team at Kentucky. Um, but. And like, I know they have a really good recruiting class, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Like those cases are just exceedingly rare. Um, but I mean, I, I still, you know, I've still liked what I've seen from them um, in the games I've watched. You know, Garrison Brooks is obviously a very talented player, preseason player of the year. Um, our, uh, our, I feel like I've always kept a little bit more of an eye on RJ Davis. He was somebody that Pitt recruited pretty hard and oh, okay. thought they had a pretty good chance at. And then Carolina comes in and uh, that uh, that was sort of the end of that. Um, you know, and I feel for Pitt in those cases because, like, I mean, those are – those are recruiting battles that like it, you know, where you can put a lot of time and effort into a player and can do a really good job and really, and really impress them. But I mean, for someone that I, I can't imagine what's like for someone that age who dreams of playing at a certain level. And like, you know, maybe that's a, you know, that's just such an iconic program that they come in and it's, if they really show a lot of interest in you and make you a priority, like it's really hard to say no to that. Um, so yeah, I've definitely kept an eye on him, but, um, I mean, it's, they're certainly improved from where they were last year, um, you know, for, for their fans and for that program like that, you know, probably only means so much cause I mean, that's a program that should never really be bad just given all of its in, uh, given its history yeah. and it's, some of its inherited advantages, but, um, well, you talked about the way Pitt was, you know, there's sort of this feeling of like, can, you know, are they going to avoid the, the collapse? And I think Carolina fans are sort of wondering that too like okay they're nine and five they're playing better like are they going to turn this into something or are they going to do something like last year I do feel like they've stayed way healthier than last year and that will help um that team couldn't afford really much of any injuries and then their best player gets hurt and that's always going to hurt you and I think they had like everybody on that team missed some amount of time last year and they couldn't afford to have anybody out you know like they just couldn't and their grad transfers didn't work out and everything else and um they've stayed healthy so I think that'll help them if they can keep that up and we'll see you know I mean I still don't think that they're going to be as bad as last year because I had some people telling me that because they've struggled on the offensive end but I think that they're a significantly better defensive team um I I know people get frustrated because they let people hit threes against them (laughs) but you know I mean they're still a much better defensive team they defend the rim far better than they did last year. Their problem is just they have a bunch of big guys and, and you know, they needed the guards to come along faster. It wasn't happening. And, uh, you know, if they got some people hitting threes now, and that's important because now you can't just clog the paint against them. So we'll see. Um, I'm, I'm super interested. Like State Carolina is whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, <laughs> it's a weird thing to say that I'm more intrigued to see them play at Pitt next week, but that's true. Uh, yeah. Now for that game, for the State Carolina game, are they doing the? Because I feel like one of their one of their games recently, they did it where it's like, hey, our colors aren't the same at all. So like, let's have one team where you know, let's have State wear red and Carolina wear baby blue. I don't know if they're doing that. Sorry, I, this is like a very like. Oh, it's fine. It's very far down the uh, the no, like priority and interest list with that matchup. It's real, honestly, it's not because it's very important to me. I have repeatedly lobbied for this. They have done it before in basketball. Um, I haven't heard any buzz about that. I really, I just, it looks great when they do that against each other. I think, I'm pretty sure that that really epic game they played like a couple years, well, it was more than a couple years ago now, where, where TJ Warren and Marcus Page were going back and forth. I feel like they were, they were red versus blue in that game. And it was like, it just so much added to the aesthetics of it all. Um, I, you know, I, I love it. I think they should always do it in football and in basketball. The colors just beautifully contrast with each other. But they, the first game this year, they didn't do that. And I was frustrated by it. Um, I think State wore white and Carolina wore blue. Yeah. But I think that's what happened. Or one of them wore white. And I was like, no, don't do this. I have been lobbying for this, though, um, unsuccessfully. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I've always been fascinated by, uh, uh, by, uh, by NC state too. Cause like growing up in Kentucky, at least the, their fans remind me so much of Kentucky fans. Like, yeah. it, you know, like it's kind of like, it's sort of like Kentucky fans, but if they were in Louisville spot where they're a very accomplished program of their own, 
um, you know, that has a very proud history, but like they just happen to be in, you know, within like a 30 minute or like hour drive of places that just have more hardware. Um, but yeah, you know, like I remember when, when that job came open, when they, uh, when they hired Keats, I mean, the whole question came up, you know, at least I feel like, uh, national, I don't know how much it was talked about locally there in the triangle, but like, Oh, like, is like, is this a good job? It's like, you know, it's a place that's won what they've won, have, they've won two titles and, you know, it's where people care about basketball so much. Like you're in a talent rich area. I, I don't know. I, guess I cape for, uh, you know, oddly cape yeah. for NC state in some instances, but no, I do too. And I think that nationally their fans get a bad rap, um, because of the way the send era ended. Um, and look it, there, there, there was way more complicated factors involved there than like the national media was going to report on. And I guess people liked Herb and was like, what do you expect? And, and then they made a bad hire after that with Danilo and, and they've been building back up since. But look, state fans, what they want is is what they've got with Kevin Keats um, to a large extent, which is they want to see a team that plays hard and can compete and put them in positions to win and be competitive and put them in an NCAA tournament position every single year. And that's what they are. You know, I mean, that's that's what they've done. Could they do more? Do they need to like get over this hump of like, you know, losing that Miami game, I think hurt them a lot. You know, it was one of those things where it was like, you can't lose to a team like that if you're going to be the team that people think you can be. And that there was frustration there, I think. But I mean, that they want to see this team play hard and, and especially after the Mark Godfrey era and the way that ended. And, and they have, they have gotten to see that they want an entertaining style of basketball with a team that plays hard and, is always in position and that's what they've got. So like for the most part, I think state fans are pretty satisfied. They just want to see the next step taken, you know, eventually. Um, and yeah, you know, they have a position, they're in a position, they could sweep Carolina this year. I don't know. Again, I have no clue how they'll look coming off this pause, but, and they play Duke twice, you know, I mean, that, that would be pretty significant for them. And, and they're in a position where they could make the tournament, but they're going to have to go on a little bit of a run here, I think. Yeah, now they're always one of my favorite teams to watch uh, in in LA. Just you touched on there, just with the way Keats's teams play, um, you know, very up and down style. Um, yeah, their games are always, you know, are always entertaining. I feel like that. I feel like under Keats, yeah, they've always been in that like, you know, twenty two to twenty four win range. Which I mean, I mean, given some of what you know, like the like the Godfrey era just seemed so up and down, where it's. <clears throat> Yeah, they would make a couple sort of inexplicable Sweet 16 runs, um, you know, almost like we had uh, talked about er, er, uh, earlier with uh, Syracuse. And I just like, you know, it's it's cool to be able to make it to the second weekend or to the second week of the tournament. But it's also just kind of frustrating, too, where it's like that's only a really a two week sample out of an entire season where like everything else just seems to be kind of inconsistency and frustration. Um but yeah, yeah. No, they're they're definitely one of my favorite teams to watch, almost regardless of the pieces they have. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, oh my God, three o'clock ABC. We have Clemson at Florida State. I wonder if, um, I wonder if like ABC thought that was football somehow. <laughs> we got confused. No, I, I say, how many football jokes are we going to get during that game or during that broadcast? Oh, I. This is where, like, I have a hard time evaluating teams, right? Because Clemson's coming off their COVID pause, and they look completely different than the team we saw before. But this is also a team that has had, you know, a similar problem to, like you said, Pitt, and and in recent years with Brownell, where they will have a really good start and sort of hit a wall. Um, and I, I don't know which it is for them right now. I really don't. Um Florida State didn't seem to have any issues coming off its COVID pause, and again, like seemed to get superpowers from it somehow. Um, and I'm I'm intrigued to see this game because I, I I was like, this is my like hipster Clemson take. Like I was ranking Clemson before it was cool, you know. <laughs> but I was like, I looked at who they'd beaten in Ken Palm, and I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah they have really good wins. I think they have like seven top 100 wins, something like that. Yeah, I I I, I was kind of doing the same thing too. I think before. I'm trying to think of the one, I forgot which loss it was, but before, I think the week before, so not this past Monday, but the one before that, I think I had them 12th on my ballot. Like, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. 
they had a lot of really impressive wins against yeah, Ken Palm, top 100, top 50 teams. And the way they played defense, but it was, you know, they were the, yeah, that's one of the funny things going into the, uh, going into the game against Virginia was, you know, they had the top, you know, they, they, they had the top defense on Ken Palm um, and Virginia just throttled them. And I think I saw, you know, I, I seen a few people post this. I think Caroline was maybe the first where it was like, you know, where it was the, like Jordan, I took that personally meme. Yeah. I mean, it's completely right. Like, yeah. It's like how dare you come for our crown? Like this is ours. What's funny though about Virginia, and you know, because I don't know Clemson, Florida State. Like we've seen the way that they're playing. We'll we'll see how that plays out. I have no idea. I think Florida State's really good, and and if they win, they'll be ranked. Um, People were asking me like, oh, who's who? How are twenty five teams better than Florida State? I understand the sentiment there, but like there are teams that have accomplished more in terms of beaten than Florida State and that's why I didn't rank them I thought I was for sure going to this past week and I was like going through the teams and was like oh I can't (laughs) I was the I was the exact same way I didn't rank them either I felt um I felt a little bit called out there even though there were you know I was like I think like 25 or 30 other people who didn't rank them but um but yeah I mean they um it's just, I mean, that's one of the things with uh, with this season. The teams are so it's so tough to evaluate some of these teams when they have a much smaller sample size. And like I, you know, when I put together my ballot a lot, it's like you know, oh, ballot many, is nightmare this year. Oh yeah. Oh no, no, no. It's really bad. And like it's bad for understandable reasons. When I mean, they're playing the season during a pandemic, like, but. I look at like number of Kent Palm top 100 wins, number of top 50 wins, and then weigh that yeah. against like how many games teams lost and and who they lost to. Yeah, yeah, because like that's one thing that's going to hurt Pitt here. Like they're going to be if they beat Wake on Saturday. I mean, there's going to be for the first time I've covered them, there will be a push like for them to be ranked. And I mean, they lost. I mean, again, I don't know how yeah. relevant it is now because it happened two months ago. But I mean, they started their season by losing to to uh, St. Francis who I think is like two and seven or two and eight now. Yeah. They're and they're two forty nine in Ken Palm. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if Pitt does do that, they will have one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh no. Cause Wake's not top 100, but they do have six top 100 wins. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, they've beaten Sarah. They are obviously coming off the Duke win, beat Syracuse twice, beat uh Northwestern in the, ACC Big Ten Challenge and beat uh, Miami. Who Miami? God, I if there is a team in that conference, I feel bad for. Just yeah, and it really hasn't even been COVID. You know, it's just been a bunch of injuries. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing because like Jim Laranaga was saying the other day, they haven't had any cases, but like they've just had like the worst kinds of injuries, and they've still managed to be like competitive or even beat teams that they probably shouldn't with the injuries that they've had. But then yeah, it's it's come back to earth a little bit um with them but yeah it's 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 pretty crazy um duke louisville at four like i said i don't know um louisville i don't know what's going on with them right now yeah i i have no idea like they're a team that for a while like when they came off of the virginia tech win like you know they jump up in the top 20 like they only have one loss that game you know, the game that they lost I me, mean, Grant, they lost by like 35, but, you know, they didn't have Carly Jones for that game. And it was at Wisconsin, who's a very good team. So it wasn't like it was a bad loss by the margin, but like when you factor in the circumstances and the quality of opponent, it wasn't too terrible. But yeah, then they lose to a really shorthanded Miami team. Florida State has their way with them, where. Looks like defense has been their problem. Yeah, yeah, because they play that like. <clears throat> Sorry, they play that like pack line, um, or I guess the uh, Mac line, as some people call it. But um, oh, I love that. But they um, <clears throat> God, sorry, I'm I'm terribly You're unprofessional here. I promise I do not have COVID. But um, <laughs> but they um, but yeah, like I, you know, great. I I tend to see I tend to see some of these teams in like relatively isolated incidents, like when they play Pitt and. You know, Louisville Pitt was without their two best players with, uh, with uh, Champagny and then Aud- and Audis Tony, and Louisville only beat them by ten. Like, I mean, th- that's a game that you kind of, you know, you can play. You know, you can throw in a lot of uh, of of uh, hypotheticals and a lot of what ifs. But like, I mean, if Pitt has those two guys, I mean, and they only lost by ten without them. I mean, I'd say the assumption's pretty safe if they had them, or maybe even just w- one of them that they would have won that game. 
Yeah, Louisville, it, Louisville's a weird team with it. Like I, you know, David Johnson's fantastic. Um, you know, Carly Jones, I like, but they, it, they are sort of in a weird spot where like I didn't think they would be that great this season just because they lost so much from a last season. Yeah. But on the same hand, it's like, oh well, you know, as you know, as talented as guys like a Jordan uh, Nora were, like they were recruited under a previous coach who maybe had a different vision for him. Like these are all kind of Chris Max guys now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just been sort of an, it's been sort of an inconsistent season for them. And I think it sort of embodies like some of the, you know, some of the, I guess, shortcomings with the league this year where like, even if a team looks good or maybe has a good record or has some impressive wins, like do you still feel completely confident with them going into games on a night in night out basis and like Louisville to me right now, doesn't pass that test. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, Chris Max, one of those coaches that I will give benefit of the doubt to, because I think highly of him as a coach, but yeah, it's, it's, it looks like they're starting to hit a little bit of a wall here. And that's why this game intrigues me for sure. Because so like, what's your, what's your take on the Duke team? Because when you watch them, you know, I think their freshman guards have played well at times. They certainly don't look as aesthetically bad to me at times as North Carolina has offensively. Um, they play with some defensive energy um, and they have some nice pieces, but it just like I can't I feel like I can't explain them as much as I can explain like a North Carolina, except for maybe the fact that they, you know, other especially when Jalen Johnson was out and Patrick Cape, like they were, they, they had a bunch of like kind of guards that are pretty good, but none that are like amazing. They have a one really good player in Matthew Hurt. And like, that's, that's it. They don't have enough diversity of talent. I don't know. I, what's your sort of take on like, what's not what's wrong with Duke, I guess, but well, maybe kind of. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, I, I, it's interesting because I feel like it'd be easier to explain with them. Like say, you know, they're five and four now, like say the three of their losses came with, uh, came without, without Jalen Johnson. Like, I think that'd be easier to explain where it's like, okay, you have this, you you have the top player in your top three recruiting class. Who's, you know, who's missed several of these games. I mean, I guess I think the only one he like, like he only played, I think four minutes in the Virginia tech. Game. Yeah. So I mean, like that, I'm going to basically say that he was effectively out for. Um, but I think their other three losses, he was he played it. You know, he played in those. And like some of those, I mean, it's quality of a competition. Like you know, especially with you know Illinois at the time they played him, they've been struggling a little bit since. I mean, that was a top ten team with a whole bunch of talent. And I do kind of wonder too. Like I look, I think when you combine Duke and you know and Kentucky and like Grant Duke has you know like a you know someone like a Matthew Hurt like he's a, he is at least a sophomore, um, so you know he has a little bit more to kind of fall back on. But I do wonder with these teams, with these very freshman heavy teams, if the pandemic has sort of you know and the some of the circumstances it's led to and some you know the uh, very non traditional off season and lead up to it i kind of wonder if it's affecting them disproportionately i don't know if that's just me excuse making for um you know no, for I, firms like yeah. Duke in kentucky but well and i mean even north carolina i think the fact that you know they di- they have played most of their games um and the, the fact that like but the fact that they didn't have you know a lot of games against like you know, whoever state university that like some random bad team that they could just crush. Like, I think that that impacts the ability of like the freshmen to, to get comfortable too. And maybe even like, you know, coach K said after the game the other day, he's like, well, I need, we need guys to be consistent so that we can establish roles. And I think that was an interesting way of putting it because like, yeah, there hasn't been a lot of consistency with Duke, really. There hasn't. Matthew Hurt's been the closest thing, and then he didn't play well at Pitt. So, like, um, I'm sure some of that, though, is, like, Capel following the Duke philosophy uh, of, like, what does Coach K call it? He's, like, take the head off the snake, essentially. And, like, they will they will go at a team's best player and make sure that they try to lock him down and don't give him chances. And that's that's always been their defensive philosophy. And I'm sure I'm sure that Pitt, you know, tried to emphasize that with Matthew Hurt, not letting him get going. But yeah, I mean, that's what Coach K said was like, we don't have consistency and it's hard to establish roles when you don't have that. And they had to, they canceled their non-conference season so he could send them home for Christmas. 
And, you know, that probably would have benefited them to play against Gardner Webb and, and Elon and whoever else they were supposed to play um, just to get those guys in some sort of a rhythm. But who knows? I don't know. Yeah, that's honestly the theme of this entire season. It's honestly been on like my part. Like if I've got like a blind spot or something, or if I'm ignorant on something like, yeah, you know, it's a pandemic. I'm not sure. It's, Just kind yeah, of throw my hands up in the air. Yeah. And not to, yeah. It, it, and it's something too, where it's like coach K has been criticized a lot for, I guess, questioning what we're doing here, except for like, I agree with him and I don't understand what we're doing here either. Um, like, yeah. It's, and like, it's, I don't know. Well, and and like that, because I guess it was after the Illinois loss when he had first kind of said, you know, because he had been asked about what uh, what uh, Jeff had said two days earlier um, about like, hey, you know, I feel kind of conflicted with us playing, um, you know, you know, I, it, you know, something doesn't feel feel right about it, and um, you know, and Coach Gates said, yeah, like you know, I completely agree with him, and he had said what he did, and with him having the stature he does, those comments obviously gain quite a bit of traction, but you had people being like, Oh, he's just saying that cause they're coming off a loss and they've already got a couple losses this season. And like, but he anticipated that, like he had said like, yeah, you know, I know people are going to probably say it's because we lost. He's like, yeah, like I acknowledge we, that we got our butts kicked, but this is separate. I thought that that's funny that he anticipated it and like even said that. And then it was still interpreted that way. It's like, you just can't win in some scenarios. Yeah. And, and, and I think like, I want to emphasize that his larger point is one that I, I really feel, which is like, there is no plan. There is no, like, what if things get real bad? There is no, I mean, I feel like we are going to a hundred percent see a lot of teams that had to deal with COVID get punished in terms of NCAA tournament. And it's, it's actually a lot easier for me to see now why all the ACC coaches wanted everybody to make the tournament. Like at first that seemed silly to me, but I think you can kind of see why now. Like, I mean, Villanova was just on a 27 day pause. Like that's insane. That's a month of the college basketball season. And you've seen teams that, you know, could have gotten some wins, not necessarily Duke, but some other teams that could have gotten wins that would have helped them in terms of the tournament, not be able to get them because of things totally out of their control because we're in a freaking pandemic. And there is just the sense of like, what are we doing right now? You know, like, are, it does not feel like college football to me at all. And I didn't expect it to, because it's going to impact basketball teams way more when they get cases. But like, it's just the sense of like, why are we just like burying our ha- heads in the sand and pretending like everything's fine when it's not? Yeah. And the thing too, is like, I don't even, I don't even necessarily know short of not playing the season or just pushing it back significantly. I mean, like there were, I mean, I was once in this camp when, you know, when you had people like a Rick Pitino tweeting like, oh, let's push the season back to uh, January and have May and have this uh, May madness. But like January, like our case, you know, the case, the case numbers in this country are still outrageous. Like we're, we're still dealing with a lot of the same problems that we were in December. Um, and honestly, like the season starting when, uh, when it did, I mean, it was right before Thanksgiving. So you know, the case number spiked after that. And like, that was the, that was part of the thing with what, with what, with what, with what uh, Capel had said about the season was, um, you know, it, it's not that he doesn't think that we should be playing at all, but he was saying he had kind of clarified it a few days ago where he's like, I just think that with the case numbers being what they are, like, he's like, it, it just like, I think that, we should kind of take a step back and reassess things a little bit, um, you know, and take a pause and try to figure something out. Well, and there's no plan from the top. And that's no. coach. K's, that's always been coach K's biggest issue. Even before this season is like, there's no, there's no like centralized authority to be like, okay, now we need to take a break. Like there's no indication that like, there's a level of bad it could have gotten to or could get to that. They'd be like, okay, this isn't working, you know? Yeah, I mean, you have thirty, what, thirty-two different like bodies trying to work like simultaneously, you know, you know, or like trying to work toward their own goals, um, you know, and they have different needs and they have, you know, different traits that kind of set th- uh, set them apart. Like, you know, for a bunch of these leagues, there isn't nearly as much money at stake. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's this, it's a decentralized power structure that makes this so difficult. Like, 
would things be better if there was like a quote unquote like commissioner of college basketball? You know, yeah, although, I know. like although I, I guess like Dan Gavitt's somewhat close to that, but but like there's no sense of like in college football. I think you did get a sense of like okay, if we need to delay things, we will. They did like sort of add in time to make up games. There really isn't time for that this year, and I don't know how the ACC is going to get through. You know, there are going to be teams that don't play very many games, and it's not going to be their fault sometimes you know and well it's nobody's fault as coach k said because coach yeah. k was like they missed two games that it wasn't you know he's like it wasn't our fault and he's like well it's no one's fault he quickly clarified that he was like it's nobody's fault like this is a virus but like you know it, it is what it is right and it's like there are going to be a lot of teams that are i i feel like punished way more than college football teams were um for missing games during a pandemic because it just wasn't planned very well i got so frustrated when the ncaa like released its tournament schedule because my thought was like well maybe they'll push things up a bit to like let some of these teams actually get games in and and whatever but it doesn't seem like they're going to do that it just it feels very much like heads are buried in the sand here and it's been frustrating because college football i do feel like you could get lost in it a bit more at least the acc for sure and the sec i think did a better job of like building in times to make up games mm-hmm. um you know, and, and there's no time for that now. Nah, you know, and just give it with a football. I mean, it's so, it's so regimented that like, you know, you, you play, you play one game a week, almost all of them are on Saturday basketball. It's like, I mean, the like schedule is far more scattershot. It's just in like one game being postponed, like, you know, it's way more of a house of cards or a series of dominoes or whatever, or whatever metaphor that you want to use. Like it's much more fragile and kind of precarious. And like, I mean, what they're doing with this college bass, I mean, they're doing, they're basically taking whatever route they can to get to the finish line. The finish line is the NCAA tournament because That's I mean, the they money. lost hundreds of millions of dollars last year, not playing that. That's and exactly like, what they're doing. Yep. If that happens again, like, you know, the risk of being like a doomsday guy type, like it's college athletics, like the finances of college athletics are, cause I, I mean, that money pays for so much, not just these basketball programs, but it funds a lot of these non-revenue and Olympic sports. Like I would, yeah, I would shudder to think what would happen to that whole, to that whole power structure and that whole, I guess, money making venture if, if they lose out on all that again. I don't think they are, but you know, it's weird. It's just like you could forget about some of the ugliness of playing in a pandemic during a college football season where, you know, a lot of teams played most of their schedule. Um, Thankfully, it seemed like not a lot of players got very sick um, and had a lot of, I mean, some players had it impact them more than others, of course. And, but it was a little easier to actually get into that season. And I feel like, the no fans has impacted college basketball more. It's felt weird. Um, it's just, it's been, it's been harder, I think, to sort of ignore that you're playing during a pandemic. Obviously, too, the numbers are worse during this college basketball season than they were during college football across the country. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's been something where it, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills sometimes because it's like people will be like, break down this game. I'm like, this team was just not playing for two weeks because of a pandemic. And it was the second time they're on this pause, like talking about NC State. And like, there's a surreal moment of like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, I found this season and this is again very low on the priority list. But like, I, I have found this season kind of odd to cover at times. And like, I feel somewhat conflicted too, where it's like, I'm here to, to, to do my job and try to inform people as best as I can. But like, you know, I'm out here like, you know, watching unpaid amateurs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, why do like unpaid amateurs who are like basically being sequestered, like, so they can finish these seasons. Like in some cases, you know, over, over like the winter break, which I guess this is kind of always the case, but like, they're there alone. They're kind of isolated and cut off from other parts of what would typically be like their world and their orbit. Um, just so we can play games here. And I don't know, you know, these, I guess are some like larger, like existential. Yeah, things, I but. know. I, I don't remember the, I'll get you out of here after this, but I don't remember the NBA player who said it, but one of them, um, he was talking about seeing family or something. And he was like, 
he was like, if, if things are so bad that I can't see my family, then we shouldn't be playing. Yeah. And that, that was the thing too. Like when, I mean, it's been, I guess, somewhat of a popular topic is there have been more games postponed here in, in the NBA. It's like, oh, well, why don't they bubble again? It's like, I feel like people didn't read the comments and the perspective of guys like who had to live in that bubble. Yeah. It's like, they don't care and it's frustrating for sure. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, well on that lovely theory, <laughs> I guess I'll get you out of here. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. I am. I'm with the uh, Pittsburgh post, uh, post Gazette. So post hyphen gazette.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Craig Meyer PG. Um, you know, D, uh, DMs are open. Email addresses in the bio if you want to, um, you know, send me anything nice or or not so nice. I'm accepting of any and all feedback, and always love chatting. All right. Well, until next week, everybody. Thank you.